All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power. And uh, t- as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eigenbrit. And today I am riding solo. It's been a long while since it's been a solo show with me. You guys have been used to kind of Andy having some show, uh, solo shows here in the past couple of months with me traveling all over God Green Earth. Uh, but you guys are stuck with me today. And uh, we are getting on my good buddy, Mr. Josh Bertrand. And we're going to be talking about a, a juicy topic and a topic that is very relevant to the time, uh, and especially uh, having seen some smallmouth events coming up. Uh, he's got a smallmouth event coming up here in, uh, in Minnesota on Lake Mille Lacs, so we might dive into a little bit of that. We're going to be talking about kind of when to pick up a hair jig versus a spy bait and vice versa. Uh, Josh is one that's very proficient, especially with a spy, uh, spy bait and one I pick his brain about a lot. So I'm excited to go down that rabbit hole again. Uh, but before we get Josh on here, uh, a couple things for you guys is uh, Chasing Hardware. A new episode of that on Be The Fish was uploaded uh, last night. Uh, if you guys are listening to this, obviously, on a Friday, Thursday night, that was uploaded. That is linked down below if you guys want to go check it out. And uh, for folks who like to use our Omnia phishing code, or if you've not already and you want to, until September 5th, they have bumped our code up to 20% off site-wide. So if you guys want to get 10% or uh, 20% off versus the 10% off, until September 5th, your entire order, site-wide, uh, head over to Omnia Fishing. You guys can use that using code SERIOUS20. I'll link that down below if you guys want to use it. It'll take you straight there and uh, save you guys a whole bunch of cash. So you check that out. Um, yeah, That's basically all the news I have for you folks because we have a, a fun week coming up. We're going to have Cooper Gallant uh, on Tuesday Night Live next week. It's going to be a fun live show. We should have Andy in, uh, on for that if he's not still picking up his new boat. Uh, so we're going to be excited to talk to Andy about getting his new boat. But I think without further ado, we'll start talking about the juicy topic here today with our buddy, Mr. Josh Bertrand. What's going on, dude? What's up, man? It's been a while. It's been it's like been, has half it been a, a year? season at least. Yeah, maybe six months. But I think we got you on like three weeks or something before uh, BPT season started. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm uh, hey, twice a year is pretty good. I'm honored, man. That's uh, you guys are doing such a good job with this. And uh, yeah, I heard you mention, you know, that it's just the two of us on this one without Andy and we'll miss Andy. But uh, I think uh, this is how we started out, right? Like the, the yeah. first podcast I ever did was, or, you know, that I did with you was just you and I, and yeah. we managed to get through it. So we can, yeah, we can get, they don't, don't hate on zoom, bro. We're still doing <laughs> zoom with ours. So. Well, I, I say, I say zoom like that because I think when we did it with my zoom, I had horrible internet. So I think we had to like record and like not work, like stop and start like three times because my thing would crash on us. So, but we're here, we're here, we're good. We're, we're having a full episode without any interruptions. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah you're killing it now, man. But yeah, I, I'm Try. ready. This is going to be awesome. Heck yeah, dude. Well, speaking on the podcast front, how are things over at the Anglers Happy Hour crew? How are the fellows? They're good. Yeah. Nick and Rob are uh, just uh, up to the usual. Rob's been fishing a ton. Um, and yeah, if you listen to our podcast, it, you've noticed we've been a little choppier lately with our schedule. I mean, we, it's, it's because we've actually been fishing and up to a lot. So Rob's been up to the usual and Nick's been up to the usual too, fishing a little bit and, uh, getting into trouble in, uh, the rest of his time, man. So <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's as always, almost every episode he's got, he's got a story or two that, uh, has us rolling and that hasn't stopped. Well, as long as he's getting in trouble on, on national grounds and not down in Mexico, where it seems like he likes to frequent, 
I think that's good. As long as it's in the States. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. And luckily he has, yeah, he's been staying uh, in the country lately. So yeah, it's been nothing too major. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say I will, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, when you guys have a little bit of downtime and start pumping out some more episodes. It's uh, I'm a big fan of the, the boys over at Angler's Happy Hour. And if you have not listened to that show, that is linked down below. If you guys want to check that out. Thank well, you man, highly, very much. Highly awesome. That. Well, dude, let's start diving into it because you guys have had some, some, bomb like bpt events lately like i mean i'm a little biased because ke goes my home waters uh and now i'm excited because we can talk about it you know right or i texted you good luck before that event and i was like mm-hmm. trying to like hold everything yeah in, so don't so tell me anything yet don't tell me yeah. i would have loved to have talked to you about it before yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> yeah well now we can actually talk about it we don't yep. have to dive into it too deep but like dude i i had a feeling that that lake was gonna get absolutely exposed and you guys wrecked them. <laughs> it was so much fun to watch. But dude, what are your takeaways coming out of that event? Yeah, I learned a lot that week. And, you know, overall, I had a decent tournament. I finished 18th um, out of the 80 guys. So it was a solid tournament, not a home run, but you'll never leave a tournament 18th, you know, too upset most of the time. So it was good. Right. Um, and I do, I'll be honest, going into it, I, I know Cayuga is good. We've been there a couple times before, and I know it's a, it's such a grass lake that grass fisheries they change constantly, right? So you know they they it's like an ebb and flow of a tide. When the grass is really good, a lot of times that's gonna a couple good years of fishing will follow. When you have a couple bad grass years, you don't know what's gonna maybe it'll it'll get tougher. Um, so I wasn't sure the state of the grass. I hadn't been there in, gosh, it's probably been six or seven years. And uh, I'll be honest, I thought it was going to fish a little small, you know, just because that north end of the lake is where a lot of the fishing usually happens. And uh, our tournaments on BPT, you know, it's good and it's bad, but it stretches over such a long time. Like from the start of the tournament to the last day, it's six days. So even though there's only 40 guys on the water at once, guys are just, they're throttling it, man. I mean, they're hitting and they're not saving fish, right? Because there's no point in saving when everything counts over two. So like, right. you don't just pluck five good ones and, and you can't survive off of one spot. You got to have a lot, right? And, and be able yeah. to go to it every day and pound, pound, pound. And you get out, you get a day off. But when you're off, there's another guy just throttling your spots, right? So I thought, man, I don't know if this is going to be a, a great lake for us because I think by the end it's going to get a lot tougher. And, dude, the weights did not suffer at all throughout. I mean, they just kept biting and guys kept figuring it out more and there were just more fish than we expected. It was it was amazing. Yeah, it, I and that brings up a good point, actually. I'm curious your opinion on this. So, like, you mentioned how there's certain, like, especially grass lakes that'll go through some down years and how, like, you might see weights drop off a little bit because there might not be as much grass. Do you think that that's just, like, an age class that died off? Or do you think that those fish just changed and now with forward-facing sonar, we can adjust to when there isn't grass? Because so, that lake definitely changed in the past few years in terms of grass. Like there's and it grass. doesn't have uh, – so you're saying that it has less grass now than it did. Yeah, and so, big time. dude, the forward-facing sonar is a big factor. Uh, but I would say even just even a, in the bigger picture, it, what I've seen lakes around the country, when they get a lot of grass, they 
the fish have very successful spawns and they don't all get caught because they're like can hide in the grass and, and it's just a it's a it's a place for them to be safe so if you have a couple years of really good grass in a row the lake is building up you might not be catching them great but the actual fish population and size of the fish a lot of times i think is it's elevating during that period and then when whatever happens maybe you get high water you get flooding you get uh really cold weather and the grass maybe they spray who knows spraying's not a good thing but for the fishing yeah. but for but for if for whatever reason the grass kind of disappears right it, a lot of times but the fish are still there because the fish boomed when the grass was thick so now you have all these extra fish and they have nowhere to hide so you're going to smoke them and uh, i think that might be what's happening do you agree yeah i mean there's a couple ways to look at it right where it's like are we adjusting to them or is it just you know the multiple different multiple different variables but it's it's been interesting the past couple years Uh, i've been talking about it recently Uh, i watched that event very closely one just to see where some of my stuff got exposed uh, but also to like, yeah, right. Uh, and we talk with some buddies of like, you know, what they thought of it. Uh, and we've kind of been discussing and like, it's definitely shifted in the past couple of years, especially, you know, I heard, I think it was Wheeler that talked about it, where it's almost becoming somewhat of a, you're approaching these fish, not like they're on ledges, but like that, like they're ledge fish where you have to keep things kind of fresh, but they're always yep. going to bite. But as long as you're keeping it fresh, yep. um, we've definitely seen that kind of happen. In, in recent years where like the lake used to be you could pick up a top water and throw it all day long and, and catch the fire out of them it sounds like you're being summoned right do now. you hear that <laughs> hey emma emma i'm on a podcast we i'll be in, in a bit okay thank you special guest wow. that went easier than i expected okay sorry man continue i apologize no, you, that's the first apologize. five times that's going to happen do not apologize special guest is always welcome thank you <laughs> yeah uh it's just been cool to kind of see that that like switch. Um, although I, I will say it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because there's a BFL there I think this weekend, and it'll be while I think you guys made it look very easy in terms of how to catch them, I don't think it's actually as easy you guys as you guys made it look in terms of how you are approaching those fish. So I'm curious to see what those weights are going to look like uh, this weekend because That'll I don't be think really those fish have changed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're in a mid- midsummer pattern, right? So they, when will they change, man? When will they start to migrate a little bit? So I've been, I've been starting to, it, it's going to happen any week now uh, because we're in the end of August. Um, about two years ago this time, we got like, it's probably a week after this. It was like the first week of September. We had two days that were like low 30s in the mornings. So it's, it, it's whenever that first summer transition, that first big cold front hits, that's when everything changes. Hmm. that's when it's like two weeks of suck like it's just it's wow awful. like really yeah so believe so two years ago okay like literally a, a week or two after this time frame it took i think 17 pounds to win uh my our friend casey smith who actually won the open on oneida i believe won that one was 17 pounds and i believe second was 13 pounds and i think uh in the top five there was like three fish wow i got I think I was seventh on the co-angler side and I had one fish out of five. That's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it, dude, it was brutal. Like it, it was again, but that could be those fish adjusting. Whereas now I think guys like yourself that are proficient with a forward facing or electronics in general could adapt a little bit easier. Whereas 
the 30 degree mornings made those fish just kind of like you didn't think there was a fish in the lake anymore it was kind of one of those things that's nuts yeah so i mean yeah and and i guess just the this lake in general all lakes you look at lakes a little bit differently uh with forward facing but just in general yeah i mean that the way that they were relating to grass lines and they were kind of grouped up in little pods and stuff like that it makes total sense you know what you're saying and it's a total different outlook in and style of fishing like when i had been there in the past the first time i ever went there i i punched the whole time you know and uh mm-hmm. it's that was not a a couple guys caught him flipping or, or light punching this you know last week mm-hmm. but uh not like not like the guys did offshore that's for sure yeah i think it was was it chris and bobby that were both punching weed mats I we'll think Randall did some too. Yeah. Uh, I think Randall uh, caught some doing that. A couple guys did. Uh, Jonathan Van Dam caught him doing that. I think I found out after, but um, yeah. Our punching, that dominated. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either, regardless, it was it, huh? super, yeah, it was super fun to watch. Um, it was one where I think like, it just goes to show like the North could be just so dumb, especially when you get it right with the weather. Although you guys saw a couple days where, like, that lake can get rolling and it gets rolling fast. It was no fun. Yeah, like, there were a couple uh, – it's a big lake, so you got to get just the right wind direction. But, yeah, those mm-hmm. afternoon storms are no joke, man. Like, we had one almost every day, and um, a couple of them were actually memorable. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll be uh, – a couple of those that blew in, I, I'll remember them for, for a while because they were intense. And it's a, it's a big, long lake. It really is. They're pretty gnarly. Uh, well, dude, so you got one more event left, um, and that's kind of where I want to start transitioning in today's topic, where we're talking about when to pick up a hair jig, when to pick up a spy bait. We're going to kind of dive into the, both of those techniques to kind of look at similarities, look at differences, and, and maybe some modifications. We have a my surprise guest here. My Yeah, there Kevin. we go. Number two. <laughs> uh, we got last event of the season coming up on Mille Lacs, you know, and real fast kind of like look in, like kind of look ahead to it. Do you think these two techniques will play at all? Or do you think it's going to be an offshore forward facing sonar 360 electronics type of deal with these small mouth? I think both will play for sure. I mean, this is, there are shallow fish at Mille Lacs uh, from what I've learned. Uh, I've only been there twice, but just when I've learned and researched, there's almost always shallow fish. there. not necessarily like bank related, but just right. shallow, right? Shallow flats, shallow reefs. And then there's a lot of times, almost always some fish out in the deep boulders and stuff like that. There's so much good habitat out there in like 15 to 23, 24 feet that there's a lot of stuff for those fish to get on out there too. So I think you'll see both play big time, just, you know, depending on the weather that we get, um, we have kind of a short practice. Um, so I actually went up and scouted it, which I haven't done a whole lot since having kids, it slowed me down on taking my pre-practice trips, but you know, it was kind of, I had the time to do it last month. So I went on the way to Cayuga and uh, just put a bunch of time in marking that rock and stuff because, so what that's going to allow me to do is I'm going to have the deep rock in my back pocket and not have to practice it very much at all. I might go check and sample it a little bit, but my hope is that I can actually look shallow and shallow is a relative term, but be looking for the shallower groups most of practice. Yeah, because I mean, if you have that rock marked, I mean, that's one where, you know, someone like yourself that's proficient with electronics, you can easily just like 
crap over it and practice and see if they're there or not, if you want to check it out. But that yeah. doesn't take too much time. You know, it's, I think what the other thing too is like, Malax is big, but it's not like, it's kind of like Oneida, where it's not a small lake, but it's not hard. If you have the right weather, at least, it's not hard to get around, I should say. Would you agree? I agree with the right weather. But, you know, yeah. so it's one of those lakes that it's uh, when you go to a great lake, there, there's so much like there's there's so much going on. And, and you, it's funny. You look at the map of something like Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, Lake Michigan, um, some of the bays off the lakes. And you're like, OK, yeah, I'll hit that reef, that reef, that reef and that reef. It'll be easy. And then you get out there and you realize, dang, this reef that I was just going to like check real quick. I could literally spend three days on this reef and not learn it um, because it's it's not learn everything because it's three miles wide, you know? So it's not in the scope of things. It's not that big, right? Like if a reef is like, you could break it down in a couple hours. It's not like, uh, you know, it takes you days. So you can look at different parts of the lake and move around, but it is big enough that um, when you get wind and it doesn't take much, even like 10 or 15 it makes it really hard to run around. So you right. can like in practice, you can break stuff down. You can put it on the trailer, drive around here and there. But um, I think the most important thing in the tournament is going to be finding stuff close together because uh, yeah, you don't just, you know, if it's uh, the lakes, 20, basically 20 miles by 20 miles. So you can't, if the wind's blowing at all, you can't just go from one side to the other. You're pretty, when you commit in the tournament, you're committing yeah. to that zone for that day unless you get into a really bad spot. Right. That makes sense. It gets rough. I mean, and it's real shallow. So it just, it doesn't take much at all to get, you're not going to have like seven footers where you're scared for your life, but very easily can get two and a half, three footers to where it's just like, Typical. it's just hard to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Is Oneida like that? Yeah. I mean, anything North, of, can you see him? I see his trying eyes. to climb the wall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the thing. Um, Oneida can get like that if you get an east or west. Uh, anything north or south isn't too bad. That's obviously, good. when you get like a 30 or 40, obviously it's bad. But like anything east or west, that's when it kind of gets gnarly. Um, but, you know, that general flow of that lake, I believe, is a, a, a west or an east to west. So the, typically the West end, say like a Lake Erie where the, you know, the East end is typically better because that's the general flow of the lake. That's kind of like, if you get a, a West wind, you can kind of almost, it, you know, what I'm trying to get at where it's kind of like, you, you want to get the right wind with the, with the general area. With the current. The yeah. 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 For sure. Makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. But let's kind of switch gears here. Let's, let's start diving into hair jigs, spy baits, like, when you're getting out and you're putting the, you know, the boat in the water and you're looking at conditions, you know, what tells you, Hey, I could probably go throw a hair jig and a spy bait today. Or, and also there's a, a part to that question of is, is one of them better in certain conditions than the other? Like are conditions different for the two or are they relative pretty much the same? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. And, and like, I guess everywhere you go is a little bit different, but like, I think both of those baits are baits that, I think you mentioned earlier, you pick it up, you pick it up when the situation's right. It's, it's not often you can go out there and say, I'm going to go out there and throw a spy bait all day, or I'm going to go out there and throw a hair jig all day. 
you go out there with intentions of doing whatever. And then when things get right for it, that's when you pick up those two baits. You know, I love fishing both of them. Um, and I fish them quite a bit, but there's sometimes are more efficient ways to catch fish, right? Like when the fish are deeper, drop shot so efficient because you a lot of times know right where they're at send that thing down there boom it's in their face they eat it you catch them it's real you're you're doing that more often than you're making a long cast slowly dragging it hoping you bring it by a fish like it's it's like really efficient and right. when you have shallow fish and they're biting really good like they're really aggressive and you can catch them on a spinner bait or an alabama rig or a jerk bait crankbait you're fishing faster you got heavier right. line um so your odds of getting them up into the boat it just happens it goes quicker right um so you start by looking for that but then but when you get in the situation that they don't want to bite that maybe we're talking about those deep fish maybe those deep fish pull up off the bottom a little bit they get a little suspended um post-frontal conditions obviously the shallow fish when you don't have the wind um same thing bluebird skies like they don't want to eat the spinnerbait they don't want to eat the crankbait that is when it's so helpful to be able to have confidence in either a hair jig or a spy bait or both pick it up and start catching fish that you were not catching in the you know previously and and neither are great like search baits the hair jig you can fish a little faster than the spy bait so you can search with them but again it really helps you to know where the fish are not, you don't have to know what rock they're on, but it helps you you're fishing them slow. So it helps you to know there's fish in this area. You know, you get a couple right. followers on a jerk bait, get the nipping at your swim bait. It's just not right. That's and you know, there's fish here. These fish are hard to catch. You need clear water for both of them. That's really, really critical. But if those things start to kind of add up, that's when you want to have that thing tied on in the rod locker, pull it out and start fishing. And it's really common for me to like pull it out and catch one instantly because you're pulling it out at the right time. If that makes sense, like you pull it out, yeah. boom, you get instant recognition that this is a thing to do because like, you're not trying to force it in another situation. You're pulling it out because you know, there's fish here. Telling you to. Yeah. There's a lot of things telling me to do it. And I've got, those are the perfect baits to catch difficult fish. Right. Um, so here, here's an interesting question. Do you think you see like, take a, a Lake Ontario, take a, a Malax, you know, a place where a hair jig or a spy bait can play, you know, you know, I'm not that you can't, I'm sure they play down by you in, in your yep. part of the country, but, um, you know, predominant thing where folks associate a spy bait or a hair jig is in like smallmouth country. Um, do you think you see hair jigs more than spy baits for the simple fact of, of hookup ratio or is it just... People are more used to throwing hair jigs. What do you think is the, the deal? That's with that? a good question. I mean, it, you love having a single hook for sure. Right. And the hookup ratio, probably if you did the math and had a huge sample size, you'd probably find that you might lose a few less with that single hook. But um, I, I think maybe, maybe some of it's because the hair jig's been around a lot longer. You know, it's very basic, right? It's uh, uh People have been throwing that thing, even though it's not been talked about for the last 20 years. The real smallmouth gurus have been throwing that thing for 20 plus years, you know, right. um, whereas the spy bait is pretty new still. But uh, that's a good question. And, and people see those little uh, treble hooks on a spy bait and it scares people away. 
you know, I mean, and yeah. number eight treble hook, treble hooks in general, <laughs> we talk about them. But dude, I'll if you've never tried a spy bait for that reason, I I think I could maybe change your mind or at least get you to try it because the way if if you think about the way a fish eats a spy bait compared to the way a fish eats a jerk bait or a topwater and it works for all species i've caught them on all species with it but um talking about smallmouth in this case is think about a four pound smallmouth you're ripping a jerk bait through the water real fast and a, a four pound smallmouth has to come at mock speed and just slashes at the bait and hooks himself outside the face like your odds of getting that fish in aren't great right he didn't he didn't get it. He didn't T-bone it, right? He just slashed it. Same with a big topwater. We've had so many smallmouth do cartwheels around our topwaters <laughs> and not hook up or lose yep. them or whatever. But a spy bait, that thing is slowly just listing through the water, slow as could be, and that fish is able to get behind it and look at it and think about it and eat it, actually eat it, because it's so much smaller. So, like, and I don't know about you, Bailey, but, like, a lot of the a lot of the smallmouth I catch, they're hooked inside the mouth and well inside the mouth with the spy bait because it's small enough for them to actually eat compared to other really fast moving treble hook reaction baits, even with bigger hooks are hooked outside the mouth and got slashed on by that fish. So I don't long answer. I don't lose a lot of fish on a spy bait. Yeah. And I, I think I, we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, but like, I think setup has a big factor. It's huge. In- yeah. And then that's one where I, I'm pretty excited to you know dive into because that's one I've been kind of nerding out lately. It's, it's one where you definitely, uh, I think there's a specific uh, trend in, in setup for a hair jig, but I think it's more crucial for a spy bait versus a hair jig because I've seen two complete polar opposites and seeing both work really well for hair jig. Whereas I've only kind of seen one trend, it's really been the discussion between line, which we'll get into briefly here in cool. a little bit. Um, but you make a good point is like the, the bait's moving a lot slower, whereas a jerk bait, you know, something that's all over the dang place, whereas spy bait's kind of just easing along where I can't say, I mean, up on St. Lawrence river, you know, I've seen them like they come after they dart, they dart away, they come back and they come with, they, they get a lot of time to look at it, especially because when you have the right setup, you're bombing that thing. Like you're yes. able to, to hook up at a, at a long distance and like, they just, they slurp that in. Uh, we even have a lake around my house here that is kind of a sneaky deal with largemouth, and they eat the spy bait, especially with those suckers. Because when they slurp that, it's it's like you don't see it when you when you're reeling them in because they eat it, dude. It's just like eating yeah. a little minnow. Yeah, right. So that's something that it's a big player. Um, I guess to to add onto that question is, you know, when when you're out on the water, I mean, do you have any? Do you have? I know you're extremely confident with a spy bait, but are there different telltale signs that you'll see to kind of point you in the direction of a hair jig or a spy bait, like one or the other? Or is it kind of just run with one that you're feeling at the time? And if you're not getting bit, but you know they're shallow, you might just switch it up to the other. Yeah, you know, they, there's there's like, you know, living down south, I don't, I, I love fishing up north and I've got a fair amount of experience through tournaments doing it. But it's not like I am on the water up north a hundred days a year to be able to like recognize like really subtle situations. Uh, one might be right. better than the other. Um, the hair jig seems to, I'd say co- colder water. I'm definitely going to lean more towards the hair jig a little bit. Um, 
because it is just even that much more subtle and smaller. Um, and uh, I would say like the spy bait, it, 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 a lot of it depends on what you're trying to match and imitate. So if you're trying to match like perch or something like that, the spy bait works really, really well because you can, it looks like a fish. If you're trying to match an alewife, it looks like a fish, um, a shad. It, it looks like a fish. Whereas that hair jig, it, could, it imitates other things. And it's not like a fish is like going to see a hair jig swim by their face and say, no, I'm eating perch today. I don't want to eat that thing. Like, they're still <laughs> going to bite it. But um, I'd say the forage is part of it. And then, um, gosh, I had one more thing in my long answers. I just start ping, ping ponging all over the place. Um, but like, uh, like one instance is like a mayfly hatch like a mayfly hatch I was, that was going on at Mille Lacs when I was there in uh, pre-practice. And uh, I could see that being a great situation to go to the hair jig because it's smaller. But again, you're matching the forage. Like you're matching the forage. Right. It looks more like a mayfly than a spy bait does. So that I'll say uh, the spy bait, there are ways to fish a hair jig deep-ish. But I, I think a spy bait is pretty efficient. If you're fishing even in – say you're in 40 feet and the fish are suspended in 20 it's not that hard to get a spy bait down there and stay down there and you could do it with a hair jig but you just don't see guys doing it and i don't do that the hair jig is more of like a true shallow water uh bait for me you know whereas the spy bait you have you it works better out deep we do at berkeley we designed a shallow a shallow water spy bait a slow sinking spy 70 so it's a nice alternative when you are fishing shallow and you're trying to imitate something a little bit bigger like a perch or a a bait fish you throw that and it's not going to sink down and get into the rocks but um a couple different reasons i guess when when i go from one to the other but a lot of times they're interchangeable but there's definitely times when one's better than the other right that makes sense so kind of like the same same track mine in terms of color like for each is trying to best match the forage really yeah and again i i do so i do a fair amount of hair jig fishing but i don't do so much where i'm like super dialed on colors with that i pretty much throw black like if i'm doing that i'm pretty much throwing black and more often than not they seem to eat that really well whereas the spy bait i've got a box full of different colors and i'm matching to whatever just because the and the paint schemes look so good you can find one that matches pretty much what you want it to look like so you got right. more options how many colors of a spy bait do you think you throw like do you have like a three different set colors or is it like do you go wild like some people do with jerk baits i don't go crazy crazy but i've got like maybe like six or seven that i'll i'll mix up you know uh stealth uh, the perch and bluegill colors i really like those stealth perch stealth bluegill a few shad slash minnow colors, um, stealth minnow. Um, we've got a couple random ones that we, since the black hair jig works so well, we designed a black spy bait at Berkeley and that thing works really good, dude. It really does. Sometimes when the fish, the hardest part with smallmouth fishing and clear water is, is finding them and getting them to see your bait. And, if you can do that, they're going to bite. Like if your bait looks natural enough at all, or if, <laughs> if your bait's in the water, it's going to get bit. Not always, but sometimes, right? So like, right. man, a, a bass can see a, a black spy bait from 20 feet away, 30 feet away in clear water. Um, it's going to catch their eye a lot easier to me. Have you thrown that, uh, which, what's the color they have? I can't remember the name, but it's like a pink spy bait. 
Yeah, dude, it's funny. I, I, I didn't stage this at all, but I literally have this box sitting next to me because it's going in the boat. But I swear I didn't stage this, but this is the pink one right here. Yep. Um, and yeah, pink works really well on smallmouth too. It, it comes down to like you do eventually just run out of time, right? And you can't throw them all. And I throw the black more than the pink when I'm looking for a gnarly color like that. But we've got another like lime ice type color. I should know the name of this color, but it might even be called lime ice, but it's got, it's got chartreuse in it. Similar to the pink smallmouth love right. chartreuse. So those bright colors work really well. Heck yeah. So total sidebar, but like talking with, uh, we both had, uh, obviously you more than I would have the opportunity to like talk with Spangler over at, uh, at uh-huh. Berkeley. And when you hear some of the stories about the color names and how they came up with them, it is hysterical. Like, so- uh, <laughs> it, I love it, man. It, I, I crack up at it and, uh, it's, 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 it's a big deal. It's really important, man. You can't have yeah. like boring color names. I mean, obviously like it, sometimes if, if the bait, the bait has to catch fish. That's the number one thing. And the color has to be a good color. But why wouldn't you have fun with it if you can? Right. <laughs> Those boys they, have uh, there's been, I'll I'm sure. say this, dude. There's been, what, what was that? It broke up. Oh, I said those boys definitely have some fun. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, I was going to say, yeah, um, there's been a lot that have been shot down by the legal department over there. Um, <laughs> for everyone that goes through, there's probably two that get shot down. It's like, yeah, it's not a good idea to call it this. I think after spending a decent amount of time with like Spangler, Kyle, and uh, Sexton over there, I can only imagine <laughs> what gets shut down with that crew. Dude, yeah. So I mean, if we can just get a list. Fun. If we could get a list of the reject names, man, we would have a blast reading those on the podcast. <laughs> that would be a riot. I wonder yeah. if, if – uh, I don't think they'd go for it, but we might be able to kind of like schmooze Sexton and uh, give him a couple drinks and see if he'll uh, get on here and, and, and rattle off a few. <laughs> he would do it, dude. He would do it. We, I love him. We just won't tell Kim. We won't, we won't tell Kim. <laughs> <laughs> the all of but, our last uh, day associated with the company. Yeah, yeah, right. We all get fired. Oh, that's funny. Um, so dude, let's start kind of diving into to setups here. Um, so like we'll kind of go one and one after another here. And my camera is like being weird. It's kind of like going in and out of focus here. So apologies for anybody watching on YouTube. Um, let's kind of start with the hair jig. Uh, what, what's your kind of like when it comes to your mind? You're gonna pick up a hair jig. What are you picking up setup wise from rod, reel, line, leader? If you use leader. All that jazz. So yeah, I we make Abu's got a rod. It's a, a seven two medium light winch rod, and that winch rod, all those in the winch series, they're composite rods. So they're designed for treble hook baits. Again, we talked about the treble hook stuff. How easily you know certain fish can spit a bait with treble hooks. So you use a softer, more parabolic rod. And a composite is a good material for that. It's really forgiving. You don't lose very many fish with it. Uh, that 7.2 medium light, it's, it's nice and long. You can get a good long cast with it. Very soft. Not whippy, but soft. And there's a big difference there, right? Like, it's not mm-hmm. like a noodle, but it's 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 good. Um, not car- like a cartoonish noodle or something like that. Right. Um, but, dude, that rod, believe it or not, is great for both. It's great for both the spy bait and the hair jig. And I have like five of them. And I just honestly, I, I changed the setup a little bit as far as the reel and stuff. But 
and the leader, but that rod is the same for both. So you could pick up one of those rods and it would work for both of those. Um, we have a winch spinning reel. It's a 5.4 to 1 gear ratio. I'm sorry, it's a 4.7 to 1 gear mm-hmm. ratio spinning reel. So like the spy bait, you got to fish it so slow. So I love it for the spy bait. Hair jig too, man. It's one of those things that you you do good when you fish it slow. So I like that. It helps take some of the thinking out when you're trying to slow down with a bait. You're not thinking I got to reel this slow, crawl it along. You could be using your eyes and be scanning, looking at your live scope, looking at the water, looking for boulders in the water, you know, through your polarized shades, thinking about where you're going to make your next cast. You're not sitting there telling yourself fish slow, fish slow, slow it down because you've got that slow gear ratio doing it for you. So I love that winch for both. Um, And then the debates you hear guys like talking about, you have to use straight fluorocarbon because it's got a little more stretch than braid. Um, I personally think a long cast is the most important thing here with both. So I'm going to go with whatever line I can cast the furthest. And for me, forever, that was Berkeley Nanofill. Uh, the Nanofill is going away. So now it's going to be like a Berkeley X9 in like six pound test. Super light braid, like a super, super light braid. Just again, for castability, it's plenty strong. Um, no matter what leader you're using, that braid is going to, it's going to, the leader will break before the braid, even with six pound test. Um mm-hmm. So again, same line for both, but I'm a firm believer that that line can't be super high vis line. So I, I like like a moss green, um, something that's going to just kind of blend with the water a little bit. You don't want to use like a white or a chartreuse. And I might have even talked about it on this podcast before, but like I'll use that white line if uh, it's a vertical technique, like a drop shot or a wacky rig or something where it's yep. coming down like this because the bait comes through the strike zone first. The fish see the bait first. Whereas if it's a horizontal presentation, like a swim bait or a spy bait or hair jig where you make a long cast and that line is coming through the strike zone first and it's a bright neon chartreuse glowing line. I don't know what a fish is thinking, but I'd rather (laughs) not have that in their face before my bait comes through. Right. So, uh, but so I'm using a low vis line to about an eight foot fluorocarbon leader on both. Um, And again, People have all kinds of different opinions on leader lengths and whether you should even be using braid for this at all. But what I like is I like that knot uh, for my leader to be just outside the spool of the reel. I don't like it on the in, in the spool. So I like it to be just outside the spool of the reel and then uh, however long it needs to be. But it's usually about eight feet and then usually about a six pound leader, trialing 100 percent fluorocarbon. Um you know, some of the folks that really like fluorocarbon, especially on the hair jig, they think that the density of the line and there's there's I could see the thought process. It makes sense. The sinking properties of the line help you keep that thing or get it maybe down to a certain depth or whatever. But um, for me, this setup has worked really well. Like I've not lost fish um, on the spy bait. I set that drag super, super loose, you know, and I have the light rod. So it's, it's making up for using the braid as far as losing fish going stuff. Um, and then your hook set's real key too. You can't set the hook the way the fish will eat a spy bait is they just come up and slurp it. Right. So just slowly pull into the fish. Yep. For sure. You cannot set the hook. You got to slowly, you let them eat it fully before you pull back. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's it's kind of what would you compare it to? Kind of like almost like a like a subtle like a drop shot lean almost, if anything, or are you kind of just real real with yeah, them as more, they yeah, mate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I I find myself pulling back on those drop shot fish more than some people probably, but uh, definitely a subtle version of that. Just to slow, just keep, just turn your body ninety degrees. Just turn your torso ninety degrees uh, slowly, and then you'll you'll lean into that fish and you'll get them. But it's a sick bite, isn't it, dude? When they come up and you just all you feel in your rod tip is just, and then oh, you do yeah. that lean and you got them. Man, it, it, it's it's so interesting because they're such similar techniques and obviously they're they're different in terms of one's treble hooks one's single and it's kind of like one's a hard bait obviously and one's you know your hair um sure but it's it's kind of totally different right and i think to me at least and feel free to disagree here like the bites are completely different like the hair jig is like you just mentioned where it's a small click like and they're on like you just kind of reel and lean into them whereas like the spy bait like, I feel like they clobber that thing. Like, they eat it like they hate it. Sometimes they do, for sure, man. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's fun when sometimes they'll hit it going the other direction. Like, you'll be reeling it, and then all of a sudden your drag is just, like, there's no <laughs> yeah. bite. There's just, like, it's like someone grabbed the end of your line and just pulled it the opposite direction. You know, it's pretty yeah. wild. It's kind of like a, a downsized version of, like, when you're in the same scenario, but you're just, burning the daylights out of like a one out spinner bait and you just get the rod ripped out of your hand. It's kind of like that, but you're on a finesse level. <laughs> sure, <laughs> That's kind of what sure, I yeah, dude. But, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a similar situation. Yeah. Right. So uh, are you using that same exact setup for hair jigs and spy baits or are you changing? Yeah, I mean, it's very up? similar, dude. I'm going to go to uh, a little faster reel on the hair jig. Like I'll use a normal gear ratio reel six, two to one Revo. 30 spinning reel from Abu. But um, I will say this, like, I mean, dude, I am lucky to be able to have a lot of rods. So do you. Uh, And like, we can get really specific on this. If you're, if someone's listening, that is like, wants to at least try the technique before, before getting a rod. Um, Right. Just, you could start with your drop shot rod, just literally go use your drop shot rod and it will Mm -hmm. do the job. Once you get more into it. And once you want to dive into the technique, that's where it's, it, it is worth going to that rod specifically designed for it. That winch, in my opinion, it's worth it. But to start out, don't not those spy baits because you don't want to get a specific rod for it. Like just throw it on your drop shot rod. It's light enough. Um, it's, you know, it'll do the job. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and really fast, were you, are you throwing six pound nano or are you going a little bit bigger on the nano? I, I with nano, I was going to eight. Now, eight. with the X9 or X5, I go to the six in this situation. Um, they're a little bit tougher. You can get away with that. Yeah, I know there's a lot of like low key and it, it's weird. Like, there's some people that they did, it seems like they don't want to talk about it. Like, there's a lot of nano fans out there that like people just don't talk about it for some reason. And, so that being said, like between the Nano, uh, we're talking about X9 here too, and that Berkeley Spy Bait you mentioned. I'll put, if people are interested in getting those, I'll put that down in the description for Omnia because they're all on there. So get the get the Nano while you can before it's gone. Yeah, you guys should have spoke up sooner because now it's gone. I was the only one advocating it. Now, because uh, all you guys were quiet, it didn't get <laughs> yes. any of it. So Isn't that an interesting trend? Like all the good stuff 
people like the the people that realize it's like legit they don't talk about it and like it seems like the best stuff gets discontinued <laughs> yeah and, and hey it was like it was a i always talked about it, it was the sports car of fishing lines like you had to treat yeah. it right and it would treat you right but it was less forgiving like man x5 or x9 it's so reliable and easy to use and just uh. consistent and i get why that's like i love it too like i've I used to be like 80% nano on spinning rods. Now I'm only like 20% because I love the X5 and 9 for so much other stuff. And uh, yet it like it, the, the nano, it could also give people headaches too at times. So I, I get it. But the performance, when you had it tuned up, like your sports car, when you had it tuned up and taking care of it and treating it right, it was, uh, the performance was really good. Yeah. I'll definitely agree to that. And it's, it's one where uh, you made a great point, and I totally forgot that there man, I was going away. Being so, I'm going to make an Omnia order here tonight after we get off this call because I need some more. Um, but do you know it's a great point, and one thing I want to highlight quick on the hair jig before we kind of dive into like maybe some spy bait mods uh, is there's the seven two. I totally agree with, and there's definitely, and I think this is more like a midwestern vibe is those guys like like a seven six light or like a seven six medium light with their hair jigs i think and feel free to get, disagree on this as well like a hair jig you can be a little bit more lenient in terms of what a rod like versus a spy bait, if that makes sense yeah i think with a hair jig it's all about the cast right so if mm-hmm. you can get a setup where you can cast it well enough you're going to be fine right yeah. like uh, if you get tension, the spy bait themselves. Yeah, yeah. Just don't pay attention. You're right. With the spy bait, it's about the cast, but it's more about what happens after that fish is hooked, mm-hmm. right? Because because of the treble hooks and stuff like that. So, and I definitely get the long. I mean, hey, the longer the better. But um, you know, for me, forever, it was you know what I had, right? Like I didn't I didn't have a seven six, and I like rods to be able to. I like rods that I can do a few different things with. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And the seven two is a nice combination where I can throw the spy bait, the hair jig, really teeny tiny crankbaits, teeny topwaters. Like I can do a lot with it. And uh, for, I'll throw a seven six all day long on the bait cast side, but it's just a lot on a spinning rod for me personally. I don't know why it just feels huge with a spinning reel on it to me. So like everyone's got their things that they like. And, you know, it, for me, it's just like, like I said, this may not be the ideal setup for the next guy, but it's worked uh, really well for me. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and it's, it's one where I'm, I, I was going to give an example is like uh, when we were up at Lake Champlain uh, for the Rebo trip, um, Justin Atkins up there, he prefers a six, six, like a little dinky ride. I thought he was joking, but he's for like, what no, bait? for the hair jig. Interesting. He goes, Oh, I can cast this just as far as I can with like a longer rod. And I kind of was like, I mean, I was in the boat and he was bombing it and it was working for him. So nice. it's like, it's kind of those the right where, line and the right cast. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I'm like, I mean, are you, I'm like, are you hooking him that like that far out with that? Like it was interesting, but yeah, he, he made it work and he, he put hmm. me to school on it. But uh, I think it's one thing that just kind of reinforces where there's other factors that are more important than per se length. But I think spy bait, it, it definitely matters. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh God, this dang cat, dude. Um, 
Was, did you see him hanging on to the window? It wasn't all the Not way Not right now. Oh, God. He was like doing pull-ups trying to get up there. He um, wants to be on the show so bad. <laughs> I think that's what it is. He's putting on a concert behind me here. Um, oh, gosh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I'm in the experimental stage of it where I'm kind of trying some things out where, like, I try to keep an open mind with Justin, too. I was like, I'm going to try 6-6. Six, six. I mean, if I like it, I like it, right? If it works, it works. That's cool. Um, but, like, that 7-6, man, I'll tell you, like, completely different technique from a spinning rod standpoint. For the life of me now, like, I love throwing small swim baits on, like, football heads, like a quarter, even three, like, up to three ace, like, especially out deep. Uh, even now that I'm getting more comfortable with forward-facing sonar, like, that's – for some reason, I can't throw anything under a 7.6. Like, that's the, my jam. I don't cool. know what it is. It's like when you get bit, you don't even have to, like, set the hook with that long bar rod. I, I don't know. Certain techniques, yeah. Well, because you're not even, like, doing much with the rod anyways, and you're, like, you're casting a country damn mile with a 7.6. <laughs> so it's it's kind of interesting. But um, I'll report back because I actually intend to be throwing this bite bait this weekend. I'm going to try it on a 7.6 Let's see what you think. Cool. Um, where are you? Where are you headed this weekend? I like to go uh, down to the lower on um, uh, Lake Ontario. I'm gonna try that out if I can get out there if the wind's right. But then I have some all smaller honey holes. I put up a poll on uh, my story to see like for the the new YouTube channel I started a couple months ago. Like if people want to go watch you know snipe fish on Mega Live or do they want me to like go punch and frog and I think punch and frog won like ninety to. 10%. So it's like it's a lot more visually pleasing. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, For right. you, you're right. getting all the fun by looking at your screen, but other people don't see that. Yeah, which is actually gonna be interesting. I, I have enough GoPros now where I'm gonna have the chesty, I'm gonna have the camera behind me, and I have a camera arm that's gonna be plugged into watching the forward facing and I'll line them up so cool, that man. they can like they can actually watch a little bit. But I, I don't know if forward facing and uh, on a kayak is the biggest uh, niche in fishing right now. So it'll be fun to experiment with regardless. But, Heck yeah. Yeah. But dude, uh, talking about spy baits fast, uh, we're probably going to wrap up here in a few minutes, but you know, what kind of modifications do you make, if any, you know, to your spy baits before you, you bring them, especially on like a tournament day? Yeah. You know, as far as mods go to me, if you've got a good spy bait, you shouldn't have to do too many mods. Right. So like for me, um, I fish out of the package, the Berkeley spy. I, I'm my, my big choice is do I throw the slow sink or the fast sink? So if I'm in less than 10 feet of water, I like that slow sink. If I'm in maybe even eight feet, less than eight feet of water, I like the slow sink eight feet or more. I go to the fast sink. The fast sink falls about a foot a second. So whatever depth you're trying to target, you can let that count that thing down. If you want to sink it down 10 feet, count to 10 and start reeling it slow and it'll stay in about 10 um and it's i mean dude it's a cool tool man i you know and i don't want to go all the way back into situations but there's times that you can use it that you never would have thought of and it'll catch you extra fish you know um one story i always tell was um i was when we there was just the uh, elite event at oahe and everyone just watched that the last time there was one there was 2018 i fished it and it was the final day i had had a good tournament i was in the top 10 and i was catching them on drop shot and a lot of those drop shot fish just vanished i was in like 30 40 feet a lot of them vanished um and dude i kept seeing one on my on my uh on both my 2d and my panoptics and it was i'm not kidding in like five to ten feet over 40 and it was just one fish 
And uh, I kept trying to drop the drop shot to it, and it would follow it down like 30 feet and then give up on it. And then come and then back I would up? Try the drop shot. Yeah, you'd come right back up. And then sometimes I'd drop the drop shot and shake it, and his face suspended. He didn't want to bite it. So I just moved the boat. I backed the boat up because it was he was relating out off the tip of a point. I backed the boat up like 30, 40, 50 feet. I dig in the rod locker, pull out the, the uh, bait. And uh, so I'm. this is all happening, and I'm not – illustrating what's happening i'm just seeing it happen myself and davy height who's who's cool i love davy height right but he doesn't know that i'm seeing this fish so he's watching me pull this this rod out and he's literally saying like all my buddies after like dude he he was like i don't think this is a good idea folks he doesn't really uh you know spy bait's not a good search bait he's struggling right now and he doesn't know where they're at and then like as he's saying it dude i lean into the fish and catch it and it's a four pounder and it turns my day around. I ended up having a good rest of the day on that spy bait. Yeah, take and, that, uh, baby. <laughs> dude, it was funny. Like the one the one time that'll ever happen, right? He always calls it right, but he didn't know what I was seeing. Like if he would have right. known, he wouldn't have said that. But it was just funny. Uh but yeah. uh so like you got op- situations like that, but then you've got situations like uh dude, I use it at the Tennessee River, man, ledge fishing. Like and, and it's not like you pull up to your ledge and you throw your big baits first, a big crankbait, a big worm, big spoon, and you catch the easy ones. But when you've got a school of fish that is like, and eventually you get to your drop shot or your Nico rig and you're catching fish on that. But when those fish have seen everything, like there's still fish to be caught. You can, you can pull a spy bait out as your last ditch effort, sink it down in the fish reel to the school and almost always catch an extra fish or two on that spy bait because it's like the most natural real looking thing you could ever throw down there. So I've caught him at Pickwick with it, Gunnersville, um, Chickamauga. I catch him largemouth out of schools with it here uh, in Arizona in the summertime. So it's a, it's a more versatile bait in situations. You definitely don't want to just, if some, if, if a guy came on tour and was like, I'm a spy bait specialist, that's all I throw is a spy bait. Screw you it. would, uh, you would go down a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you would be very inconsistent. But if you uh, at least have it in the rod locker or have one in the boat to tie on in the situations, like it'll catch you extra fish for sure. A lot of times. Dude, that's, that's so cool. Like, and it's, it, when you go back to what you were talking about, like backing off that fish and getting the rod locker, that kind of goes way back to the beginning of our show where you're like, it's one of those things where, you, you pick up one or the other because it's your something goes off in your brain to pick it up where it, where it goes right back to that, or it's not one of you intend, like I'm going to go out today and I'm only going to throw a spy bait. No, it's one of those things where you're out there and it's a situation arises and like your mental equation, you know, just pops up and it equals, Hey, you need to throw a spy bait right now. And that's kind of exactly what you just alluded to. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like, once you get to throwing it more, you'll, you'll just have tons of those situations where like, you know, it's a big deal at St. Clair and, and, you know, it's when they're not eating the crankbait so well, the, maybe it's too calm or whatever, you know, the spy bait works really well in that situation. Um, it just, yeah, it, it happens in pre-fish all the time when you're with any bait, right? Like you pull a bait out and you throw it and catch one right away. And then you try to make it into a pattern, but you can't. And you're like, dang, dude, I caught one first cast with a crankbait. But I fished it for another hour and never caught another one. Well, because you pulled the crankbait out because you were going around a windblown wing dam and you threw it across because it was the right situation to throw the crankbait. And you caught a fish on it because that you were supposed to. 
And then you tried to do it everywhere else when it wasn't the right situation to do it. So it's super situational to spy bait. Yeah. Does that happen to you in practice where you pull a bait out, catch one right away, and you're like, here we go. And then you fish it for an hour and don't get another fish. Yeah. Yeah. And then that becomes bringing 17 rods in a kayak and you get judged for it. But but you're like, you throw in two the whole day. And then the other ones are like, yeah, I might throw this three times today. At least you're prepared, bro. Right. Right. I'd rather rather have it and have like no room (laughs) than uh, than not have it. And uh, yeah, not be able to catch those fish. But yeah, I think there's a lot of sneaky ways you could throw spy bait. Like we, we throw here. I think, I think one last question I'm going to have for you on this, and I'll get to you in a second here, is, like, we throw it on deep grass lines here. And that was before, like, I would have – I had forward-facing or even before I had uh, side imaging. Like, I'd go on 2D, and I'd find the grass line on 2D and hope that it's exactly where I'm going to cast, like, you know, parallel with it and try to go along the grass line. That's how you could catch, like, your your nomadic uh, summertime smallmouth here. And that was kind of, like, the way to catch them. But now that I have forward, I'm super intrigued to take that pattern that – I haven't done it in a long time, you know, from that sense of these inland lakes. And uh, you'll see how that matches up with forward facing. and could be kind of deadly for when things get tough. But for you, I mean, how much visibility do you need, like at the least, to be picking up a spy bait? I feel like three feet's a pretty good number. Yeah, if you get less than three feet, that you typically don't need it. But if you have at least three, it seems to work really well. You yeah. agree? That's yeah, I'd say I like more, more, but... Uh, that's one where I don't really, I don't know yet. Like I haven't tried throwing it on those, those, you know, those dingier, dirtier conditions to see if it would work. Yeah. And like, like the Tennessee river situations I was talking about, that's going to be like that three feet and that's like the limit. Yeah. And you're going to try to use a brighter color, something that shows up a little bit better uh, in that case. But uh, yeah, you'd like to have like five to 10 or even more, but uh, you can definitely catch them in, in, especially in the largemouth situations with like three. Gotcha. Do you ever um do you ever double split ring your spy bait at all? You ever found instances where you'll do that? I dude, I used to do that on jerk baits and everything, and I've gotten away from it. Um if I was having issues, I would definitely be open to trying it. I just haven't had the issues and I'm not doing it uh, right now, but it's it's a good idea. And I could definitely see that working. Yeah, it's Keeping one I've been fish on. Right. And it's one I've experimented recently. Uh, for folks that keep up with the personal YouTube channel um, on Be the Fish, I've been playing around double split ringing like Chapos or some small topwaters, like the back, the back treble, because uh, it's for three episodes. You can see me on the Susquehanna River. Granted, they're river smallmouth. Gosh, he just jumped on me. Um, <laughs> where I just couldn't, like, for some reason, it was only the big ones where. I couldn't keep them pinned or they completely miss it every single time. Like to a point where you're getting just depressed because you're seeing these giant smallmouth and they're missing it every single time. Like it was kind of wild. I'll send you some clips after the show. So did it make a difference for you? No, no. Like I went from straight braid and not double split ringing to uh, mono leader and double split ring and changing completely like from three different brands of treble hooks from EWG styles to round bends to like, I was losing my mind. And I think straight up what my conclusion was that Susquehanna River, obviously being this, this current fishery, you know, you're going down at a decent pace. Whereas the guy that won a uh, good buddy of mine, you might actually know him, uh, Nolan Miner won the Susquehanna River and his topwater fish that he was catching 
was while he was wade fishing. So he was a on a uh, a stationary. He was stationary. He wasn't moving. Whereas I was on the kayak, still floating down river with these fish. I think therefore I wasn't getting as much leverage when I leaned into him as he was where he was stationary. Hmm. And I think that that's makes what sense. It was. Yeah, it's such a unique, like rare style of fishing or something right. you wouldn't haven't done as much, right? So yeah, it makes makes total sense. And maybe so with practice more than your setup, just practice and your positioning and stuff like that, it would yeah. improve, huh? Yeah, I think it was like from a from that. I mean, that specific. I mean, Susquehanna is so unique, uh, but it's one that you know, doing in doing that, I want to experiment with just lakes around here, even Great Lakes to see how that makes a difference. You know, have sure. your setup set of the same, and when you're on a good bite and it's consistent, to see if if there's any differences. Kind of observe how those fish are getting it, and vice versa, to see if it's something that could apply elsewhere. But I think the Susquehanna was just an efficiency thing. I think like if like the the Minor Brothers were one and two. And like they grew up fishing st- stuff like that, I think that was one where it's just like from a strategy standpoint, that's really what made a big difference. And he also yeah. had like a sneaky JDM bait that like have taken the world by fire now. Hmm. But wow, yeah, but it was cool stuff. But dude, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the a lot of the the knowledge you dropping on myself and uh, all the uh, listeners and viewers on hair jigs and spy baits and. I'm sure a bunch of people are going to have some questions for this one. But, uh, you know, looking ahead for the rest of the season, you got Malax coming up. We kind of dove into that at the beginning of the show. But, uh, you know, how are you sitting in points going forward right with Redcrest? And how is that looking for the, you know, the rest of your season? Yeah, you know, I'm sitting uh, okay. I'm, I'm in by like 25 points right now. So um, if I can just go have a decent tournament, I would make it. So that's obviously the goal. I mean, but we're not going to fish conservatively for that you know it's a good opportunity to try to have a good tournament so hopefully uh just have a good tournament to end the year don't have to worry about red crest if i'm doing if i make the knockout round i'll be golden there so hopefully make that and then worry about the actual tournament at hand uh after that if i can do it so um i'm stoked man it'll be good i uh after that we've got our team series event um in september and then u.s open after that so i got three more pretty good sized tournaments to fish and then uh, fish all fall here at home. So I'm, I'm stoked about that. I was looking into that that team series uh, the other day, actually. You know, not to go too deep into it, but, but I would like to actually have, like, a legit show about this because I think it's super intriguing. But, like, kind of, like, how does that lay out? What's the general format? It's going to be really fun, dude, honestly. And um, the way they set it up was the top 27 in points from last year are captains. There's 27 teams and the rest of the field is the draft pool. The captains got to pick two guys for their team and uh, it went in reverse order. So the first in points last year, who was Wheeler picked mm-hmm. for uh, picked uh, last. So, um, and then 27th picked first. Um, and on my team, I've got Andy Morgan and Brandon Coulter. So I figured Andy, uh, is like the best shallow water fisherman of all time. Right. So I would, and I lean towards fishing deeper. And then, so I figured he, he'd be a great pick. He was my first pick. And then uh, we have Brandon Coulter, who's really good at both. He's just a real versatile fisherman. So yeah. uh, it, the way the format works is you are on the water in your own boats. So there's three of you each in your own boat. 
and you're fishing against two other teams who are also three boats each. So there's nine boats on the water at once. Um, it's two days and total weight. So like if you're on my team, say I have you and Andy on my team and, uh, yeah, we all catch 30 pounds. We have 90 pounds for the day. Um, and it's two days of that cumulative. And then, uh, the highest weight total for your, for whoever's team wins and, uh, you make the championship, which will be held in December. Um, What's cool about it, though, is you have headsets in and you're talking to each other live all day like we are now. So we've been talking for an hour, but we've been fishing for an hour. I haven't caught crap, but you've caught three on a frog, um, you know, in this in this uh, up way up this river. And there's lily pads on both sides of the river. And I'm coming up there to join you. You know what I mean? Uh, But you can be talking to each other the whole time. And they they filmed a pilot um, and the pilot is on. you can watch it on their app and it's pretty sick, dude. Like you, there's not even any commentating because there's so much dialogue between the fishermen. Like you're constantly just spilling all the beans to your partner and vice versa. You know, how deep are you? Uh, what kind of grass are you seeing? I'm seeing hydrilla. It looks really good. I've caught, I just missed a fish out of it. And, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so talking heroes right across the Creek from me and he's catching them really good. And it looks like he's sewing a spinner bait. Maybe if, if one of you guys wants, uh, pull out a spinnerbait, you know, just, but the dialogue is yeah. crazy. Because, so you learn so much from listening to these guys, break it down together right in front of you. I, I am so excited to watch this for, for the pure fact now of like, it's forcing you guys to think out loud, which I think is going to let the viewer like myself nerd out on because I completely geek out on the mental process. Uh, sure. Especially for anglers. So that's going to be super cool, uh, especially to hear you guys kind of dive into that. Is this, is it going to be live or is this kind of one that's? I wish be- it was live. Unfortunately, not. But it'll be so they'll be filming them this fall and they'll be available. I think starting in December. So okay. um, we'll have to wait till December. But yeah, hopefully it'll be live in the future. Um, I'd love to see it live. It'll be it'll be fun. And you're totally right. Like you know, we were talking earlier how there was that situation where I was on the water and I was processing all this to myself, but I wasn't saying it out loud. So David right. didn't know it. Right. And that's how thing, you try to talk out loud, but sometimes it's just you and you're better off just thinking rather than talking. But in this case, you have to talk out loud and tell, tell your guys what you're experiencing. Yeah. That's, oh, that's going to be so cool. Is it, um, Oh gosh, what was my question? I was just gonna, Oh, do you know where it's going to be? Or is it like the cup events where they, they take you to the random lake? It's like know? the cups. So uh, we won't know what lake, but I know that uh, I'm fishing in Minnesota. So it'll be good oh, fishing anyway. So you in have September. no idea. <laughs> yeah, dude. It could, it's one of, yeah. of 10,000 lakes. So It's right. You have no clue. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I can't wait to see that. That's going to be wicked cool, especially because the fishing is going to be so good too. Like, I exactly. think you guys will have a riot. Exactly. Well, I'm looking forward to that, dude. And then uh, Redcrest is on Norman, right? Yeah, yeah. Never been there, so hopefully I can make it and check that place out. Well, heck yeah. Well, when we when you do make it, we'll get you back on here, and we'll kind of we'll get you back on here. Hopefully, coming up in this fall, and then uh, hopefully we'll get you on after you win this team deal. But uh, either regardless, we'll have to make this an annual thing. We'll start preluding the, the next year and recap. Uh, each year, but we got to get you on on more here, dude, because it's uh, it's always fun and you you unlock the juice for the serious dude. angler fans. Well, yeah, uh, it's just an honor to come on, man. Always good to hang out, and uh, we talk a lot off the show, but it's always fun to you know 
we never get to talk for an hour, dude. So nice right. to be able to sit here and chat for an hour. And then uh, the only other plug I wanted to make, uh, yeah. since I'm shameless about making plugs, is uh, I also started a YouTube channel like a month ago. And uh, I've, I've got like maybe seven or eight videos up there. Um, I just posted one the other day. I caught a seven and had a couple cool doubles. Um, and then another one where I, I flipped a six and an eight. Um, and I try to share as much information as possible on that. It's, uh, it's the goal of the channel is just to be really informative. So that's just Josh Bertrand fishing on YouTube. If uh, your listeners want to want to uh, check out any of the episodes just no uh no bad reviews no thumbs down that's what i always say on the podcast i don't want any <laughs> one star reviews on the podcast only positive feedback only so if you got something uh we don't want to hear uh keep it to yourself keep it to yourself i love it <laughs> that's awesome well dude i had no idea i'm gonna go and find it after here i'm gonna subscribe to it and then i will plug it down in the comments uh, or in the, com- cool, the comments thank you. show notes so if you guys are not watching or you guys are not subscribed, make sure you guys go do that. Uh, as well as below will be all of your other social medias. So people are not following you and live under a rock. They can go and follow you over there. But uh, you guys are missing out if you're not doing that. But, uh, buddy, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I know we're going to talk to you here soon. But uh, safe travels up to Malax. Uh, and I'm, I can't wait to watch that event. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, you too. I know you got a busy stretch coming up, so um, I'll uh, I'll talk to you real soon, dude. Thanks for having me on. All right, boss. Well, I don't have anything for the viewers to wrap things up beyond. Uh, we'll see you guys. Uh, we have Biz from the Basketball coming up on Monday, and then Tuesday Night Live we have with Cooper Gallant for Tuesday Night Live. So we'll see you guys then. But, uh, Josh, we're going to sign us out here. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All Take right, care, man. folks. See you later. Peace. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode, and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners, where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.